Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is George Armistead, and we are back with another episode of Life List, a birding podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Alvaro Jaramillo. Alvaro, what's going on? Hey, doing well here. Uh, you know, the... Do you get that sense? You know how fall begins in different times depending on what who you are, what you do. But for the birder, fall begins on July first. Yeah, <laughs> so it's true. Like you know, it's sort of like the the migrants start with the shorebirds. We're sort of seeing long-billed curlew flying by the other day, and oh, wow. things are kind of showing up. You know, young gulls that are, you know, you can sort of see winter gull watching is just around the corner. Feeling that fall vibe already, even though it's still summer. Absolutely. Absolutely feeling the same thing, you know, just back from a good bunch of travel here. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But yeah, I got back and all of a sudden there's there's juveniles um, in places, you know, like where they weren't before, you know, like, yeah. and I'm not talking, I'm talking about birds that have fledged, but actually moved from, you know, breeding right. areas. Um, we like we see chipping sparrows around here. Uh, they nest around here kind of, but I don't see, they don't nest like right in my yard and there's like juvenile chipping sparrows and there's flocks of common grackles going over with juveniles and adults that are on the move. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, like there's a lot of stuff that's pretty much done and starting to move around already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Chipping sparrows are interesting. How does it work? Like the Eastern chipping sparrows and Western ones have a totally different migration timing and here, I don't know if in the East they do this, but here some of the chipping sparrows move in their stripy plumage, you know, the the juvie stripy plumage, and you'll see them out of range. Even like they've landed on boats, you know, on pelagics with this stripy oh, wow. plumage, and you're like, what is that thing, you know? And and um, I think in the in the uh, East they they hang in, they they molt and do all this, so they have a later migration, way later yeah. than than they, do you hear. Sort of interesting. Yeah, there's not many sparrows that migrate in juvenile plumage this, right. in, in, in uh, this side. But yeah, I've been seeing them around. Actually, it's fun in in August, in September. I associate it more going around trying to photograph these juvenile sparrows because they're quite beautiful. But the they are they can be a real challenge. Really, yeah. really tricky to identify. Yeah, we've we have savanna sparrows that. And actually, white crowns breed right at the end of my street. But the savanna sparrows are all over the place. The the juvies, some of them are actually golden yellow, like all over, you know. And and others are kind of more like the adults with just a little bit of yellow in the face. And others, great, like they're super variable. Like you can see why people who are starting with birds, if they got if they go birding at this time of the year with between. Juvie birds and molting. worn gulls and stuff. Yeah, You're molting like, adults. Yeah. Yeah. Molting adults and and migrant shorebirds that are all, you know, disheveled. You know, you'd be like, this birding <laughs> thing's tough. But it's like, yeah, just wait, wait, wait till things kind of settle down later yeah. on in the fall and winter. Then you'll you'll be you'll be fine. That's right. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, I think it's we all love fall migration because of the volume of birds. You get all the and the and the and the how dramatic it is, um, but but you've got all these youngsters, which you know effectively you know sometimes double the number of birds you're seeing. 
but uh, man, they can be confusing. So mm-hmm. uh, there has been a little bit of that going on. Yeah, I, I, I do think that the the classic Petersons, you know, when he 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 proposed that the warblers were these confusing fall warblers, and he put a page of them on there, you know. I think that he did a disservice there. I think that a lot of them aren't that confusing. And if you know, also, if you can concentrate on their shapes and other aspects of their facial patterns uh, and tail patterns and other things, they're not that confusing. And, um, and we, we've essentially been bought this idea that they're really tough. Confusing fall warblers. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a few that are kind of tough. Yeah, but most of them really aren't. So I, I would say I would put that in people's heads. Go out there in the fall, thinking the warblers actually aren't that confusing. I'll just, you know, yeah. I'll sort I mean, through you, them. You got your, you got your bay poles. You know, you got your, you know, your your morning verse Connecticut, um, and you know maybe a couple others like pine warbler can be confusing at kind of yeah. any time. But you're right, a lot of the, like. You know, yellow throat in morning. There's some that are, oh, yeah, like that's a really tricky, view. yeah, yeah. But the average, I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of them just kind of stay the same red start, you know, Canada yeah. warblers are kind of some duller than others, even you know, magnolias are all pretty. There's the there's dull ones in the fall, but they've got this the magnolia look and the tail and the whole thing. Kind and even like, rails. yeah, like chestnut-sided warbler looks different, but man, they're distinctive, you know? Yeah. And they stick up their tail. Watch for yeah. Them. So there's a lot of stuff that doesn't actually change that much. And there's a few, like you said, black pole, bay poles, you know, the bay-breasted black pole. I've never actually had the situation of the, the sea. I mean, I used to see ceruleans more in the spring, fall. They, they used to leave pretty early. But that false cerulean and Blackburnian issue, I've never actually had to deal with that in the field. But yeah, never to my knowledge tricky. have I had that issue. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen precious few ceruleans in the fall. And yeah, they do seem to scoot pretty quick. Um, they just leave. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they're like, I got to go to Diego's house in Colombia pretty quick. Yeah. So they're like, they're out of here. Head, head for the coastal range of Venezuela and Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be cool. I mean, it's true. Like, I I think it's well established on this podcast that I do not like summer around here, really. Um, I love winter. I always talk about how I like it cool and crisp. And we are really entering my least favorite season here. Um, July and yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to be going away soon. Um, again, um, I'm, I'm headed for the coffee region, the coffee triangle of Columbia in a couple weeks here on a Hill star nature tour with some friends. And I'm really excited about that. And then, uh, and then I get back and I'll be in this region, but we'll be, uh, be doing some birding, uh, Mm -hmm. with a bunch of young birders, which I'm real excited about. And, um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm not a big fan of the still humid, hot weather that we get here. It's, it's, you know, it's like you, 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 you take a shower to try to 
you know, clean up from the humidity. You feel like you're walking through soup all the time around here this time of year. And just the, the toweling off process itself sort of seems to warrant a whole other shower. You know, it's wow. just, you're, you're grossing me out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was probably a little, little more detail than was warranted, but still you get, you get the uh, idea. It's, it's just, you know, humidity here. It's like 90, usually often over 90% heat, over 90% humidity. And it's just like, wow. man, you know, bring on the cold fronts. Yeah. I mean, like you probably know here on the coastal part of California, nobody has air conditioning. There's no need. Right. That's you know, unimaginable never, to me. It's never hot enough. It gets humid. Like we get this little humid thing, but it's never hot enough for it to be a problem, you know? Um, although, you know, some some of the lo- old timers here kind of complain now that in the evening sometimes it's, you can't sleep because it's a little muggy, but it's like, we're not even talking 10% <laughs> compared to like Philadelphia in summer. Right. It's just, just more complaining because people have zero experience here with that. So, right. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about the coffee triangle. You know, in Spanish, they call it the eje cafetero, which means like the axis of coffee. Doesn't that sound wow. like weird? You know, like weirdly like, whoa, you know. Or it sounds a little scary. I know. Yeah. That's coffee triangle sounds better. I was going to say, it sounds a little like Bermuda triangle, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the axis of coffee also like it does, you know, it's got some some connotations that are maybe less than desirable. Yeah. Yeah. For Americans. <laughs> Right, the axis of coffee. You know that you know who you are, <laughs> Colombia. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Colombia and Brazil or something have entered into some agreement by which they're going to uh, take over all. Yeah, of the, uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna fix coffee prices, like you know OPEC, the yeah, OPEC oh, of gosh. coffee. Yeah, it's gonna be called OKEC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, terrifying, a, terrifying process. Terrifying. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. So, Alvaro, I think you need to tell the good people what you've been up to lately, man. Where Where have you been? What have you been seeing? So, so I I did a tour to Galapagos, which um, Galapagos was the first trip we did post, you know, so that we actually were able to do last year. You know, so when we just had a couple of trips, so Galapagos is still you know, in fine form, um, given that it's an island, you know, in terms of COVID and everybody's vaccinated there, they actually handle it really well. Um, but this year, so people often ask, like, why do you go to Galapagos at this time of year? Because it's the, you know, cold water time. So the snorkeling's yeah. a little bit more. You got the you know, you got, Yeah, you got, you've got the, the coastal kind of clouds. You don't have the rain. But it's colder and whatever, you know, people complain, not complain, but it's like, you know, you have to put on a wetsuit maybe if you're cold sensitive to go snorkeling. But it's really good for seabirds, right? It's That's the time that the albatross are doing their stuff and the boobies are, you know, doing their foot pattering stuff. But this year, it was even more than the norm. Like <laughs> the the fish just bubbling at the surface, you know, the bait fish. Oh, wow. And uh, the number of whales we saw, and also sort of unusual for Galapagos um, seabirds. You know, we I saw my first sooty shearwater I had ever seen in Galapagos, <laughs> my second pink-footed, and my first 
leeches storm petrel that I've ever seen in South America, actually. Wow. That's a bunch yeah. of unusual shore b- or seabirds there that you see a heck of a lot of elsewhere. That's pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, I know. I know. It's sort of funny. But there were, there were also some things you don't see all the time that were out and about. Like the bigger numbers than I've ever seen reported of white-faced storm petrels. Hmm. And the whales. I mean, there were just there was a day when we're just multiple blue whales, and these are oh, the wow. ones that migrate to Chile. They're from the Chiloé Island population, migrant, but they call intermediate blue whales. It's a, it's not the pygmy. It's not the big ones. It's a. These are the ones that reach Southern California sometimes, or a different no, group. Okay, different group. Yeah, diff- totally different. And um, we saw, you know, Brutus whale. That's how mm. you pronounce it, right? Yes. So, yeah. Lots of that's the one that looks like brides, but it's right. I remember, Brutus. I remember Ned Brinkley correcting me on that uh, yeah, some years Brutus ago. Whale. Yeah, yeah, we saw a whole bunch of them, and you know, well enough that you could see that the the fine level ID features. Right. They were Don't, they have that like crown the rostrum pattern, right? That's yeah, different. three ridges rather than one yeah. ridge, and oh, you know, boy, common dolphins offshore. Um, Bottlenose dolphins. I often don't see a dolphin at all. You know, we'll see maybe one group in the distance, but they were like riding. I'm just like, I was like, it was a wonderland of ocean. Wow. The locals were all saying, oh, yeah, it's the cold water and the upwelling. And it's, you know, second year of La Nina. And they're looking into like sort of a third year is going to happen. But what's cool, it's, it's here too. Like California is hopping in terms of ocean productivity. It's cold water masses of fish like we're seeing anchovies bubbling up at the surface you know um all over the place people are catching salmon like you wouldn't believe like the salmon bite that the the fishing folks are are you know they they get their limit of two salmon before 10 a.m and that wow. used to be you know last year they'd be out there maybe all day and maybe catch one so and the whales there's humpback whales everywhere here that we've had blue whales and both both in both places, we saw killer whales too. So it's been crazy, you know, oh, both man. in Galapagos and California. So Jeez. It, it's a real like story of, you know, the ocean can rebound or do its thing. All it needs, it's, it's you know, wind, cold water, you know, currents, everything to line up and then things just boom. Pop. It's, yeah. The most... You know, people are t- long timers are talking about they've never seen this much anchovy here in Central California ever. You know, like it's just crazy. So wow. yeah, man, I'll, I'll get back to you on killer whales. Though. I want to talk, but I want to ask you what you've been up to. Yeah, man, uh, I have been traveling a lot in the last month. Um, me and two friends. Um, from Philly here, Liam Hart, Patrick McGill, we headed out to North Dakota, Montana, did a week long scout of a prairies tour. We're going to, we're going to run next June. And that was, that was awesome. Um, that was, it was really great. Just like photo ops, open country, you know, just really wonderful birds. And, uh, and good mammals too, you know, you know, lots of pronghorn and, and coyote every day, and you know, which is not something I see around here a whole lot. I know people out West see them more often, 
and you know prairie dogs and just like you know badger and and you know just a whole bunch of great birds and mammals and um so that was great and really looking forward to returning to that trip next year and then we we kind of did a bozeman sorry a bismarck to bozeman run uh which is what that tour will be we finished up Exactly. We finished up in Bozeman. We actually, and, and was, we're in Livingston area, you know, Yellowstone area, left there like two or three days before the massive, massive, devastating floods happened. Uh, we, were, we left just like two, two, day, two, three days before that all happened. So that was pretty crazy. And then I went down and guided a Hillstar Nature trip in Colorado with my good friend Carl Bendorf. And we had a great trip there. Uh, just a short five night trip, um, hitting Pawnee Grasslands, Rocky Mountain National Park, and then took a swing all the way down south for kind of some more desert type birds and ponderosa pine birding. So that was really great. Was home for a short week and then was up to Alaska for a week and a half. Uh, just focused a tour focused on just two spots, Nome uh, and Denali which was really wonderful. Great group of folks from here in Philly. And, uh, and yeah, nice, nice weather pretty much throughout. And Nome, you know, is just one of those places that's one of my favorite places in the world. I love to spend like it. There's no place like Nome as as the saying goes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's a place I would love to just like spend like every June, the entire month in Nome. So, um, yeah, and One I know the, you've spent some time there as well. Before yeah, getting back. Yeah, I do. I, one of the things that I remember most about Nome that's non-bird related was like rolling in. You know, the it's light forever, right? So you're you're out there and you're doing things. I think we went, we brought the group back in after dinner, and I I might have just gone out just to do something on my own, get some pictures or something. And I think we're. I'm getting back in at midnight or whatever it was, you know, and you couldn't tell. It was like bright, bright skies and so on. And there's these little kids playing soccer, like in the middle of the night. <laughs> right. But it's like, the day, right? Like 12, was, 15 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Played yeah. soccer. And I was thinking like, huh, that's weird. You know, like, shouldn't they be sleeping? Then I was thinking like, man, if you're, you're half your years, you're in the dark, you know, in, in, in the cold. Yeah, even the summer, you're just like out doing go, 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 yeah. go, go, especially if you're a kid, you know. So I was like, well, good for them, man. You know, yeah, <laughs> like enjoying the midnight sun. It's true. Yeah. No, it's tough to stop birding. I mean, like, because it's just so good and so scenic and the birds are so great there. You've got this, you know, influence of things that kind of just barely get across the Bering Sea from Russia. And, um, and then there's, you know, there's mammals there too. There's muskox, you know, just like right. barely outside of town and there's moose and, you know, there's always the chance you could see a grizzly bear or, or, uh, you know, or, or even a lynx and there's snowshoe hares in places, you know, yeah. and, and other there's stuff. Arctic, Arctic hares there too, right? It's Arctic. funny you mentioned that actually, cause I, I saw our friend Tom Johnson was up there as well with a group and they actually had an Arctic hare and I was like. I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, you know, I am pretty sure I saw an Arctic hare leading a tour here with Chris Benish, you know, some years back. I don't remember where it was. And like two days later, Tom gets back to me. He was like, I can confirm 
you had an Arctic hare here in 2008 with Chris Benish. And here are the coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. It's like those guys keeping good notes. And um, so, yeah, they are uh, Alaskan here actually uh, is, uh, is the one. Is that the one? Okay. Yeah. You know, these things change names or whatever. Yeah. I, I remember it was called Arctic. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think it might be a split from Arctic. Okay. Hair. I'll have to take a look at that. You mean people are splitting hairs? <laughs> oh wow! Oh, you I can't believe that I, one. I, I, yeah, I just feel like I walked <laughs> right into that. Wow, Whoa. man! Wow, pretty good. Whoa, pretty good. I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> Make sure you tip your bartender. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, I was just thinking that you know the hairs have that eleven year cycle, right? Like they snowshoe hares for some weird reason like you know a lot of the cycles and lemmings and so on are like three years and they have this 11 year cycle and if you apparently if you time if you know the cycle in a local place the lynx numbers go up yes. with the hares yeah so if you want to maximize your chance of seeing a lynx someplace where they which are seen I do, regularly, which i do want to do i want to maximize that chance that's that is my that most 11 point. year cycle it's i think it's like the three years and it's, yeah. it's sort of year 10, 11, and 12 or something like that are right. the, the key years. Um, so, right. Because there's a lag, right? Like, right. As I say, it's like a year or two after the the uh, the big snowshoe hair years, right? It's like, yeah. It's like a, a one yeah. or two year lag, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we, we saw Lynx once in, in Alaska on a tour. That was, that was crazy. <sighs> Got nice you're photos. A, you're a disgrace. My goodness. But you know what was interesting? Like to me, it was like I was I was driving. This was Denali Highway, right? So further south, driving with the windows open, listening for birds. I think we were probably trying to find, I don't know, some, you know, we're just listening, whatever, probably trying to find a hawk owl, northern hawk owl. And and I hear all of this commotion, like all of these birds, like the local, the chickadees and, you know, everybody's just going nuts. And I'm thinking, that's weird. Like, you know, maybe they got an owl, you know, so I stop and I, I could hear like the chickadee group was moving. And then as soon as I kind of hit, hit the edge of the road, the lynx comes out and it crosses the road and all those birds follow it to the other side of the road and they kept on. So it's like a good strategy. Just listen for a bunch of like upset birds. That, I, mean, I was thinking, wow. Yeah, I mean, and and it makes sense, right? We've, I, I think, we've probably seen them do that with either feral cats or, or uh, I've, I've seen, I've seen birds around here do that with feral cats at times, and and yeah, even with bobcat on one one sighting, I remember. But the one thing that we had on the Denali Highway, we, which I spent some time on on this trip as well, which is, I would argue, I'm sure that there's other examples. This would be actually a good topic for a podcast sometimes. Most beautiful roads in the world and Denali Highway ranks high. I mean, it yeah. is and we drove the whole thing this time, which is the first time I've ever done that. And man, the scenery there is just I mean, it's it's just it's gobsmacking for like yeah. most of it. It's just beautiful. Um, and um, and we had one day where we had three, uh, it was 24 hour period, but three different porcupines uh, oh, yeah. that we had crossing the road. And it was sort of similar to what you were talking. The first one I saw was pretty distant ahead on the road. 
And I was like, oh man. And I could see like some little birds moving around, savannah sparrows, white crowned sparrows, uh, one or two other things. There's a lot of Arctic warblers around in places. And, uh, and I was like, oh man, could this be a lynx? And then I got, you know, I got my bins on it and my binocs on it. I was like, oh, this is a, it's, and I wasn't sure exactly what it was at first, but I was like, it's not a lynx. And then I figured out it was a porcupine. But then we saw two more and one other was the same thing. There's birds following it. Like it followed it across the road. And then once it got into the shrubs and stuff and the willows and you, you know, you couldn't see the animal anymore, but you could see the birds were just going after it. And I was like, you know, for, for a cat, it's one thing you kind of expect that behavior. I'm not sure why for this large rodent, which I didn't actually realize (laughs) porcupines are a large rodent. There's uh, Mm -hmm. the second largest one in North America after beaver. Um, why they were following that but maybe it's just that it's disturbing bugs that they're getting or or they just like seeing another animal that they could kind of scream at they i wonder if they could actually be um eating nests on the ground if they find them because they're they're actually rather um omnivorous in summer like people in cottage country in canada they always complain about the porcupines coming in and doing causing, you know, eating stuff up. And one of the weird things they eat is they, they like salt. And yes. If you have like a shovel right. that you've been using and it's kind of salty wood, they just chew up your shovels. And, right. And I've heard about know, people so like you, leaving boots outside that are have, that are like sweaty, you know, boots. And yeah. like the porcupine will come in and start chewing on their boots and stuff. You know? Yeah. So maybe they just, they're up to trouble chewing on stuff, you know. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it could be pretty. I mean, they're, they're also they look huge at times because of you know their body. Then they have all that stuff sticking out, right? Yeah, they can look like a little mini bear, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, the like the first one I saw, I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be a lynx!" And I was yeah. so like, I got that adrenaline rush, you know, because I'm you know nothing for me better than seeing a wild cat, and um, and I was still stoked because I, I haven't actually seen that many porcupine. I don't spend time in areas where there there's that many of them. Um, so to see three in 24 hour period was awesome, but, uh, but it was funny to be like, Oh, this could be a lynx. And then be like, Oh no, it's a porcupine. Yeah. You know, in the, the prairies in Alberta, I remember seeing like porcupines would be in random, like one tree, you know, in the middle, you know, yeah. by the edge of a Creek, you know, and there's like a barn or something. And the porcupine would be sitting there in this tree, like a big ball. They're really easy to see there. I, yeah. I don't know if that's what they like they don't have forest around like they just have these little weedy kind of thickets and they just seem to make do supposedly they're real smart they're like supposedly yeah. really smart animals like they i guess they've done some studies where they've like tracked them in mazes and stuff um and that like they put them in a like some complex maze and then like <clears throat> 3 months later they put them back in the maze and they just find their way out immediately again like they remember huh. how to do it apparently they're smart Wow. That, I mean, that, um, completely different animal, but it was also, it was actually, it was, I think it was in Colorado. Same. Um, you know how in the bridges all have like cliff swallow nests, right? You know, yeah. just a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. I remember watching this. Um, I mean, I, is it, I mean, it's the Fox snake equivalent over there. Bull snake. Mm-hmm. Bull yeah. Snake. Probably bull snake. Yeah. Bull snake, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, the one that's got different names. I think it's called pine snake, bull snake, uh, not fox snake, but gopher snake. I'm thinking about gopher. Yeah. Gopher yeah. 
And then it was like going along the bridge, right? The edge of the bridge, this big old snake, and it like gets a third of the way over and it just sort of makes like a little turn down and it goes and eats an egg from the the cliff swallow nest. And I was thinking that snake knew what it was doing. Like it it's done that before and it remembers. Not its first rodeo. Not its first rodeo. And I was wondering like how do I never thought snakes could had a memory, like you know, some cognition. Alone. Right. I just, you realize that a lot of these animals we see because we can't relate to them clearly, like that they have all of this stuff going on and let's call it intelligence, memory, problem solving ability, or just, you know, but all of that has to go together. Like they have to, the snake has to know where the bridge is, how to get there, how far to go, what kind of bird it's looking for, what time of year. It's a lot of stuff going on. And I was thinking like, wow, they just have that all set into their memory bank somehow. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. You And you wonder if in a snake like that, it may actually know, remember exactly, you know, yeah. which nests it has and has not pilfered yet, you know? Right. Yeah. And that there's those studies on hummingbirds where that you can make a real complex set of, of flowers that have and have you know, fake flowers that have or don't have sugar or which ones they visited, you know, in, in, in a captive situation. And the hummingbird knows, like, don't bother with that one. Last time, you know, you know, a few hours you were here and that, that was an empty flower. So you, they don't bother. And like the number of flowers is so much that a human could never remember that level of detail of which one to go in and not. But the hummingbirds are like, yeah, no problem. No problem. So they, their, their memory works in a different way than ours. So yeah, kind of cool. I call that smart. Yeah. It's not book smart. smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's flower smart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it was, it was nice. I mean, these are, these are three, these three tours, excuse me, were areas that I've spent considerable time in, uh, before, but I hadn't been any of them in a long time. Yeah. Uh, It was really nice to get back to, uh, the tundra in the open country of the West, Rocky Mountains. Can't wait to get back. Did you see Smith's Longspur? Did not see Smith's. Oh, yeah. In fact, okay. uh, yeah, we uh, we I think I've didn't. Told people on this podcast, that's my, I've never seen a Smith's Longspur ever. Yeah, that's right. I remember. I think we talked about that. Yeah, the um, there was one spot we considered going for it, but. Um, it was going to be logistically complex for us at the time. So did not opted out on that one. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was awful. Nice. Um, being up there. And like I say, the scenery is tough to beat really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I really enjoyed time I've had in sort of that prairie region too, like where everything is. And, and I haven't, I mean, I guess I did lead tours way back, but just being on your own, like just driving random roads and listening for all these birds that are in there in abundance, like, you know, the long spurs and, you know, overhead pipits and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty amazing. And the raptors and hawks and all that. It, It was, it was just sort of really fantastic birding. And I remember getting great 
views of bared sparrows and stuff like that. Just like listening for them. Windows roll down, you stop, look around, and it just sort of seemed like a, you know, you didn't have to have a plan. You could just go out to some of these places and 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 drive and see great birds and then little ponds full of docks. That's what I like about this, that the way we've, you know, is it's just like that, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. You just go to nice areas where there's just lots of birds. And sometimes it's fun to zip in and get all those things as quick as you can get them and zip on. Sometimes that's exactly what you want to do. But what we kind of wanted to do is a more immersive prairie experience, as mm-hmm. I'm calling it, because that's really what it is. And, and uh, yeah, it's, you I mean, it's just, you go there and there's just, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of really cool stuff. It's, you know, I, I like open space a lot. Um, and uh, for me, these areas are the, that when I my first real birding experience was on the pothole prairies, actually, it was you know like my dad kind of got you know took us on a family trip up to Churchill, Manitoba, and on the way there we were birding the pothole prairies, and like so for me it's like kind of like going home again in a way, even though I hadn't been there a really really long time. So I'm like, oh yeah, flocks of you know Wilson's phalaropes and American offsets. And, California gulls and and uh, and uh, Franklin's gulls migrating through and big numbers of white pelicans and you know and then yeah the prairie long spurs and bared sparrows just like high volume birds and open space where there's not a lot of people either you know yeah Swainson's hawks yeah you know, massive yeah. Swainson's hawks around. we had this one we had this one um minute and like neither Liam nor Patrick had been out this way before. And I think that like we had one, this one time where like it, within an hour we had, we found, well, we found a female thick billed long spur incubating on a nest, like mm-hmm. just a few feet away. Uh, Cause this male came in like displayed for it. It was like hopping around. I was like, what's he doing? And then I was like, Oh my God, there's a female incubating right next to him. And so we like watched that female for a while, which was awesome. All of a sudden, this like prairie falcon rips through, which we hadn't seen the whole week in the background. And then we like, okay, we, we should move on from here. And meanwhile, you know, there's thick the long spurs displaying all around us, you know, just doing their flight displays. Mm-hmm. Go down the road, this, all of a sudden, this badger runs into in into view. And then like we we turn the other side of the road, there's a ferruginous hawk nest with two young on the ground, and and like I forget there was something else even, but we're just like, oh, we're like, oh my god, like all this stuff is right here. You know, yeah. it's just yeah, all right here. You know, I, I've had sort of similar experiences with finding, you know, birds like that and a lot of nesting birds. That you're, it's, it's actually really easy to even find like horn larks yeah. nesting and all that. But the one bird you never see a nest of is the most common. It's Western meadowlark. Never see yeah, a nest true. of Western meadowlark. Yeah. Or Eastern meadowlark over. that. Yeah. You know, I mean, who has seen a meadowlark nest? Yeah, it's true. I mean, really, and they're on the ground just like the other ones. But there's something about them; they don't give themselves away. And that, but, they're the state bird of both those states of both really, North Dakota and Montana. It's Western Meadowlark. And everything else in that prairie region seems to have an easy to find. You know, it's like Western kingbirds or the hawks. Yeah, the longspur they, nests are easy to find. Longspurs easy yeah. to find. Weird, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. 
Yeah, totally different scene here, though. I mean, I've been at, going out to the Farallon Islands, Southeast Farallon Islands. Um, yeah. And this last time, I, mean, I think we did three, I want to say four, four Farallon trips in the last two weeks. And last time I was with uh, Peter Pyle, who was one of the spotters who's, you know, at one point had spent more time than any other human being on these islands, you know, doing bird research and shark research, you know. Isn't isn't um, Southeast Farallon Island like the number one eBird hotspot in the country in terms of species? Could be. I think it is. Which could is crazy be, when you consider. Yeah, it, I mean it it's had and a lot of those are vagrants, right? Of course. It's yeah, but that just shows you what a crazy place it is. I mean, they've they've had red flank blue tail and you know I'm looking um, this up as we go. Middendorf's grasshopper warbler common rose fin, all these crazy things that n- nowhere else in the lower fours on a trickiest sparrows in a day. Like remember this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, just uh crazy stuff. Um, I know, you know, and the Eastern warblers. Yeah. It and is. I think every, it's the number one and it's actually, it's yeah. Alvaro, it's, it's for the United States. It's the number one eBird hotspot. And it is for species. 50, yeah. It is. Yeah. For species. And it is 53 species ahead of the number two spot. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is Bosque del Apache. And then number three is Cape May, Cape Island, Cape May uh, point. Uh, so there's wow. a number three, but anyway, I thought folks would get a kick out of that because I mean, yeah. you look at where this place is on the map and you're not thinking high species diversity, but obviously over the years, this place is legendary. Legendary, but, and you know, I should explain too, to people who've never been there that you can't, unless you're a biologist that is working there for multiple weeks, you can't step on the islands. You, we, so we visit off limits yeah. and, you know, yeah, from a boat and we're, we're in sort of looking around at all the birds, the nesting birds, which are, I mean, we're talking 300,000 plus MERS are sitting there, you know, awaiting us with puffins, you know, tufted puffins and rhinoceros auklets and all sorts of gray whales around and all that kind of stuff. But, but it, but it's really interesting to have the the experience of somebody who's been there so many times, you know, over the years, and the little details that he thought were interesting, like, you know, he Peter, he, Peter, yeah, Powell. Peter, he, mm-hmm. he was sort of saying like the the mer colony's grown so much, like when he was there it was probably under two hundred thousand. Now it's like over three hundred. Wow. But there are parts of the island that are covered in mers now that you know, 20, 15 years ago were not that he was saying, he was showing us where the, how they're growing, like going upwards and side sideways. But also the, the MERS were picking up anchovy right by the island. Like they were going down and bringing up anchovy. He said that never has really sort of, he doesn't remember that anchovies being right at the island where you're, you're right next to the island. The they had to go right further offshore from the island. Right. Right. And then if they were picking up fish nearby, it tended to be juvenile rockfish and other things. But he's, because when I described that there was anchovy, so much anchovy, they were right by the islands. He was like looking at me like, oh, are you sure it's anchovy? And then when we got there, he was photographing and he was going crazy photographing anchovies being picked up by, the, you know, brought up by these MERS because it was so unusual. And, and that was really interesting to me. Like I would have, I totally had missed the importance of that because I didn't have context, you know? And mm-hmm. So he, he brings his context, you know, like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And the other thing is that killer whales don't 
although there's a lot of food there, they don't hang out by the islands. They never kind of have. There was one time in the past where the, where some killer whales did hang out, but this year there's been a group hanging out. Like they've they've been seen multiple times over several weeks, and um, that was interesting. And he said the last time there was a group hanging out, they killed a couple of great white sharks. Oh my gosh! And what happened is like they the killer whales kill the sharks and eat only the liver, right? Killer whales are really specific about just eating certain parts of an animal. Wow. Like, so, and it, the liver is really high in, in, yeah. in food content. You know? Seabirds love, sh- like that's, yeah, shark liver is famous. Shark for, liver. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, what was odd is that the shark researchers, after these killer whales came in and killed two sharks, I think, the sharks were gone for three or four months. They actually left <laughs> as if they knew the place. Like, this was is a bad scene. Yeah. Leaving. Which again, yeah. it's like, how do sharks know? And, it, and he was thinking maybe it's just the smell of, of shark liver is just a, a, a sign like, leave this place. Something's bad's going on, you know? Right. And, like, yeah, they probably can smell or like a tiny fraction of that in like, you know, a cubic mile of, of yeah. water or something. Yeah. Right. And this time around, uh, they've seen this group of, of, of killer whales um, eating sea lions. So, so it's a different, um, maybe a different ecotype actually of, of killer whales. But I did one thing that I, I've, you know, when I just posting about these whales and so forth, I realized that some, all the scientists that study them call them killer whales, you know, like, uh, and even the groups that are focused on orca call them killer whales. But a lot of sort of whale fans like to call them orcas, I think because they don't like the fact that killer is sort of such an mm-hmm. intense word loaded for this loaded really word. cool, cool animal. Right. But uh, so I'm, I'm calling them killer whales because it seems like all the, all the people that study them call them call them killer whales, but yeah, orca is the, the other name that some people give them, which is the genus. Um, but they definitely are not, you know, these are not passive, pacifist. These are predatory animals, highly predatory animals, you know? Yeah. And, and if you're used to the, the ones in Puget Sound that eat fish, maybe that's a little bit more like palatable because we eat fish and seems like, okay, you know, and they're, bigger groups and, and and they're a little bit more chill, but these ones that are called bigs or transient killer whales, it's a different, some people think a different species. They have a different shape, um, coloration, language, and food type are, I mean, they eat gray whales. They, they're known, some pods have been known to kill um, humpback whales, wow. chase them down and kill humpback whales. And again, it's really odd. Like with the, the gray whales, they just eat the tongue. It's <laughs> like, you know, so you start like putting it all together. Yeah, these these guys are pretty pretty specific instinct in there. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and also very specific food types, you know. Yeah. 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 But this group, man, I mean, it may have been 12 to tw- 16 to 20 whales in this sort of big pod. And one of them is famous because it's a young whale that's a leucistic one. Uh, it's like it's whitish gray, and it's called they call it frosty, and he frosty. it's been seen. It, yeah, it's been seen in down in San Diego, 
multiple times Monterey Bay and we saw it, at, you know, and I'm not sure how far north it's been, but um, this, this pod ranges all the way or this sort of set of pods ranges all the way up and down California, maybe even up to British Columbia at times um, of this transient ecotype. Um, and so seeing this whole thing was so crazy. And like they were going under the boat doing their stuff. Oh, so you guys, are right, you guys are right on top of them pretty much. Yeah, we just, the boat was just sitting there and they were kind of come, coming through and, and doing their thing. And then they started jumping and twirling in the air, kind of like one oh of those gosh. shows. Oh man, people were moved. I mean, there were tears in wow. people just moved by by the whole event, you know. So it was, yeah, that's it was, when you know you're really seeing something powerful. So you actually see people break down, um, yeah. which is that seeing that in of itself is a pretty powerful thing. But yeah, yeah. So it, it's a, it's just we haven't really started the offshore birding kind of just go out to the offshore and see what's out and about, but. Boy, I, I'm I'm keen on seeing what is out there because the the trips to the island spend a lot of time in sort of more um, shallower water, and we have a little bit of time to go out into the deeper water, just you know an hour. But it's already been you know masses of sheer waters, more than we can remember this early. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, and there's just so much food. I think it might be an interesting season, but of Man. course. You always think that, yet you're optimist if you're a birder, you know, that sure. it's going to be great. This is going to be the top rate ever. But then sometimes it's just normal. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 So who, we'll yeah. see. Well, we'll see. Maybe I'll try to hop a flight and get on a couple of those trips. And uh, right. in, in September, when things settle down schedule-wise, I haven't been offshore that but side in a while. Would be nice. Yeah. yeah. No, that. But the salmon, that that's a sign to me too. Like, I mean, there's been a lot of changes in how they um, put salmon from hatcheries into the water. But the the fact that people are not only catching a lot of salmon, they're catching really big ones. So it's you know, I mean, the the local captains have given me some salmon, so I've got like a freezer full of salmon, my friend. You know, oh so wow! I'm gonna hot. hop that flight. I'm gonna hop that flight sooner than we uh, than I suspect. <laughs> then maybe we'll see. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. Uh, you know, ecotypes, so, so there's a third one here, right, that's seldom seen called the offshores, and they, they hunt sharks, it seems like, sharks and these offshore creatures. So we have the, the ones up north, the residents, fish, Puget transients, yeah, yeah, transients, bigs, which are California and, you know, marine mammals, and we have offshores. But you're, I gather you once saw, in a different part of the world, another ecotype that is basically if you're a collector of whale sightings, this would be like a big one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I was lucky enough to not only see, but photograph some type D killer whales. And it was kind of funny the way it happened. Um, it was on a on an Antarctic cruise in 2009. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and we were... You know, we were in the Drake Passage. We were on our way back um, to mainland South America, to Ushaya, um, from from the Antarctic Peninsula. And, you know, the Drake Passage is famously rough. Uh, and I've had it actually be really, really rough and, and lived up to that billing and other times being really, really so calm and windless that there was actually fog and you couldn't see anything, which was not ideal. Um, That's what they call the Drake Lake. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this the this time though that we saw these these orca, and I tend to call them orca just because it's a shorter yeah. word, and I like efficiency. It's like it's I find it easier to say orca than killer whale, but I, I don't have any problem with the you know the the term um, because they know. are they are predators. I don't know. Maybe you're snowflakey. That's what's happening. <laughs> can handle handle the truth man perhaps perhaps yeah but yeah we it was funny so we saw these 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 orca these killer whale will and uh and i i took some photos and it was it was kind of rougher conditions there were seabirds i remember there's like white chin petrels in the, in the photos over over these guys and i thought that's awesome we got really nice sightings of them and and i remember thinking that they looked different um at the time like we we discussed that they must be one of these other types that we weren't really aware of. And then like three, four years ago, I was giving a presentation on Antarctica uh, for the, for the cruise. Um, And uh, I fin and one of the guys in the was, that was there was uh, lived in San Diego is good buddy of of mine, Adam Wallane. Um, And he has been to Antarctica like 50 times. He's been many times. He's done a lot of cruises there over the years. And he's like, he's like, comes up afterwards. Cause, and this, like the last slide I show is of those Orca and the Drake Passage. Cause it's kind of the last thing you do on the trip usually. And, uh, and he's like, he's like, you know that those Orca are type D, right? Those are type D killer whales. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, those are type D Orca. Those have been, those are like, have hardly ever been seen or photographed. Um, and now I think the first ones that were, had been documented were like 1955 or something. Um, and, uh, and they were from a stranding and I, and if I remember right, it's something like since then there is seven or eight, um, documented with photos sightings at sea. Um, and what I didn't realize is that in that, in the time that it elapsed, Others who were on that same trip had had their photos, sent them to Bob Pittman, who's, you know, the, the, the guy who really studies these things more than anybody else just about. And, um, and he, they, this sighting had made it into his paper on these, huh. these animals, um, which they, they really think is a different species. And they're different in that they are, they have a different shape to their dorsal. I think it's like a more erect dorsal, if I remember. But it, they have a tiny little white eye patch over uh, over the eye as well. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking them up here, and it says that they have a really like long, swept back dorsal, and okay. also a bul- bulbous head. Yes, like that's right. More of a like yeah. a yeah. Yeah, Almost I knew there like was something different about head. the dorsal, but but yeah, I forget that the head is kind of swollen. Yeah, yeah. And then a little tiny, tiny, like that little eye patch looks like just a sliver. Yeah. Little tiny white eye patch. And they call them here subantarctic killer whale in this, you know, there's this um, nice, like uh, the ecotype, a picture of all the ecotypes. Uh, It's pretty cool. You know, and there, you probably saw those, what they call type B here is Gerlache killer whale. That's right. The ones that are full of the diatoms and make them look yellow yes did you see any of those yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, oh man hopefully we'll see some of this stuff when we yeah later this year yeah Woo-hoo. it's gonna yeah. happen it's gonna be great that's what they tell me <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if people want to learn more about uh orca killer whales there was there that mammal watching podcast episode with bob Pittman um is pretty is pretty 
is really interesting stuff to listen to. And he's got a couple great stories. Al, you were talking about how they hunt uh, cetaceans. Uh, I mm-hmm. forget which group it is. Um, but he, the bigs, yeah. The bigs, okay. The transients, yeah. And I, I think it must have been them that Bob um, was watching. He told this one story about how he, they were like watching these orca, and then all of a sudden they picked up and started moving. He was like, all right, let's follow them. And I think he, I, I don't remember the details, but I want to say he, he, they followed them for like 20 miles or something. And then these things went to work on, a, on like a calf of like a humpback whale or a gray whale or something. And just ripped it apart. And he said, well, he said that all of a sudden you realize that these things, they heard something and they keyed in on it and they went 20 miles and then they attacked this thing and ate it. And you just realize not only like how smart and and strategic these are, but how precise they must be to navigate water like that. Um, Wow. Yeah. It, It, they're they're really fascinating creatures and and they learn obviously as being smart so they they probably learn what boats are and you know um people and all these things and i know there's a group have you heard about this out in portugal off of that are attacking boats every so often mm not, do I, I, I want to hear I, about this? I don't know. Yeah, a little. Bit, I'd like to know a little bit more about it. But uh, they apparently like sailboats. Huh. They've they've been like hitting the rudders. Oh boy! As if as if they're like trying to, you know. There's this whole like you know. If you see, I think it's port. I want to say it's Portugal, mm-hmm. but um, I know the one the ones in in the um. Strait of Gibraltar that people go watch, they're pretty passive. There's nothing going on. It's, it might be just one set of like three or four individuals that are sort of rowdy that are doing this crazy stuff. And then they're like people, right? They, yeah. There's there's just some element of individual variation in their behavior. And yeah. just there, you know, there's some rowdy ones out there. Um, yeah, I mean, you here, see, that you doesn't see, happen. They're free. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like whether it's whether it's humans, dogs, bears, uh, you know, killer whales. The, the concept of a, of a rowdy killer whale is particularly, um, you know, yeah. something to think about if you're in the water. But yeah, I mean, obviously, there's outliers that can make things problematic. In in Galapagos, you know, our our park guide, you know, was he was sort of joking. He's a really great snorkeler. You know, he's really, you know, and he was like, "Gosh, if we got really up close to." Group of killer whales, you know, orca. I'd, I'd love to jump in with them. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'd jump in. I, I'd I'd jump in with a, a whale shark, no problem. Like I, I trust yeah, sure. those creatures. Yeah, yeah. They're they're. I don't want to say they're simple, but they're just looking for krill and little fish yeah, and yeah. stuff, and they're moving along. But you know, it's it's sort of like all you need is one individual way you know, orca to be kind of, yeah, a little rambunctious and, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, you could see, I mean, if for all the, like, I mean, for the, obviously orca is like a big dolphin basically, right? It's like a giant dolphin, but those blackfish, the, you know, the pilot whales. And the first time I ever saw pseudorca false killer whales off North Carolina, um, I remember seeing a pod of them moving towards us. I think there was like seven or nine animals or something and they were moving towards us 
and I was on the bow of the boat and I, I picked him up. A bunch of us just saw them all at once. And I remember my, my first instinct was fear. <laughs> like yeah. I remember the first thing I thought was, oh man, like the way those things are moving, I would not want to be in the water, you know? Right. And I right. cannot imagine, um, the, you know, being in the water with, with uh, killer whale orca. No. I forget which one it is, but it's either false killer whale or melon headed whale. There's that actually is, there's been times when they've acted really aggressively towards divers and stuff. And they're mm. sort of like, you know, watch for these guys. You know, there's yeah. one of those that's, uh, they want to steer don't get clear as much press as the, as the orcas, but yeah, man. Um, Fantastic animals and this whole idea of ecotypes and which is, you know, what are species and what aren't um, to me, if, I mean, would you agree with this, George, if, if there were birds, right? If these were birds and there's three different types that have a different essential song and habitat and diet, and they, diet, and they overlap, right? Like they're what That's- we call sympatric. That's a pretty um, strong set of criteria for s- right. different species. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I'd I'd split these in a heartbeat. Know, yeah, heartbeat. You know, but I guess the you know mammal people are different than the bird people, and different from the plant people and the fungus people, and you know we all have different yeah. ways of the shell people. Of are the ones this. you got to watch out for those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those yeah. I do not trust those people. The shell people, those man. People, mm. Yeah. Yeah, the Shell Club meets right before the Bird Club here in Philadelphia, and man, there's been it's been some pretty the, near dust ups. I'll tell you, like you know. the malacologists. Yes, exactly. Right. They're always telling right. the bird people to quiet down, and our Bird Club's been meeting there for over 120 years. And I want to be like, we got here first, okay? When you've been meeting here for you know 120 years, then then maybe we can talk. You know? Yeah, Sh- I Shell know. people. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Shell people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got the word M-A-L, mal, bad. Right yeah, exactly. For starters. Yeah. yeah. It's the, it's right, 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 right away. It's pretty send, suspect. Send your letters to George, <laughs> your angry letters. <laughs> You're going to get like a half shell, you know, mm-hmm. a letter with like a half shell and, you know. Like, oh, man. Then watch, if you don't watch yourself, this could be you. I'm already yeah. in trouble because I went on record this way saying this week saying how much I find tomato pie irritating. Tomato pie. What is all, that? It, it, yeah, well, it's maybe it's like an East Coast mid mid Atlantic thing, but like now, you know, there's a lot of lactose intolerance out there. I understand. I'm sympathetic to it, um, but I do, I don't feel like I. Sh- it, it's basically it's pizza without cheese, and it's you know it's supposed to be an emphasis on the tomato sauce and the crust oh. being really good. But every you know family gathering party that I go to now, there will be tomato pie, and people will be waxing poetic about how great tomato pie is. And I'm like, sure, it's fine. But like, it's better with cheese on it. You know, it's better with cheese. Like I'm telling you. Yeah. So I don't, you know, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Tomato pie and shell people come, come at me. Yeah. That's a, that's a regional thing because I've never heard of tomato pie, but Mm. I'll have to say that I am not a good person to ask because this local spot opened up here. That's chicken and waffles. Right. Oh yeah. And, Mm -hmm. See, you're shaking your head. I'm like, yeah. I, I was like, who would put those two things together? I had yeah, no yeah. idea that this was a thing. And it, oh, in fact, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, 
It's actually originally a Pennsylvania thing. That's I, right. I, yeah. I looked up. It was, a, it was a Pennsylvania Dutch, maybe. I don't remember. But yeah, yeah it's, it's big. Exactly. And, it, and then there's also sort of a soul food fried chicken version. And the original version was more like a stewed chicken version. And I'm like, who knew? Like, I, I just thought this is some wacky guy who decided to do like fried chicken and waffles. Like, what a crazy thing. Like, I didn't know it was like a somebody who already had a few thing. too many edibles and just, right. yeah. Yeah. So there well, you go. So don't ask me about stuff because yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I know Scrapple. I know that. Yeah, you do. You do know about Scrapple. I That's like good. It, yeah, it's not too bad. Slice it thin, yeah. maple syrup, good to go. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. listen. We we, uh, we could go on about the food. I do, you know. I want, maybe after we uh, sign off here, I can tell you about the the peanut butter sandwich with the uh, the kosher pickles I just learned about. But we should probably yeah. get going here because uh, we I are know. we're the, the clock. She's a ticking. And yeah, I, and we yeah. we know we bore people at the fifty minute mark. And yeah, exactly. We still yeah. keep on going. I yeah. don't know anybody who's is. listening now. We really appreciate it. So, yeah, yeah, you're the true fans. <laughs> Yeah. So anything else you want the good folks to know about Al before we sign off? Well, if you're coming out to California, um, there's still a bunch of pelagic trips happening, um, you know, in August, September that, that are, have spaces on them. And it'd be interesting to see what, what goes, goes down. If we see a lot of abundance continuing or, or not, then can't ever, ever, I, you know, I, I can say that we have a really good chance of finding a whale if not a lot of whales out there, humpbacks, but killer whales, don't expect you're going to see one because I've talked about them. It's actually a special thing right. for us to right. see them. So I don't want to got to have some luck. Impression. Yeah. Yeah. But the other day there was probably a hundred humpback whales out there. I was going to say, you're in a good part of the world for cetaceans and yeah. odds you go out there on one of your trips. Odds are you're going to see some cool cetaceans of some kind. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's hopefully, but, yeah. um, yeah, that's that's what, and uh, I'll be I'll be uh, out in South Africa for into this month into August, so I'll have some stories to tell after that. I'm gonna do a stopover in Qatar or Qatar. I don't know the what the locals call the, yeah. the pronunciation, but I'm gonna have a day there in the desert. That's gonna wow. be cool too. Nice. So look forward to hearing stories. about this. Let's see the cra- crab plover. Oof. Love to see that. That's no, that's a good one. On my, that's my a radar. Yeah, that's a high, high ticket monotypic family there. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah, very I cool. Say, like, I'll, I think I'll enjoy anything there, but seeing crab plover and uh, hoopoo lark would be two oh, yeah. of the things that I'm looking for. Do you know what? Do you know what greater hoopoo lark sounds like? That's a, that's a fun. That is a fun one to hear I as well. I don't know if you'll be there know. at the right time of year for that, but it is a pretty insane song. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be there at the right time of year for the hottest temperatures they ever get <laughs> in, in that part of the world. So, so, yeah, yeah, that's and that's saying something for that part of the world. Yeah, I know. I mean, they didn't have the World Cup there in the middle of summer like they usually do. They have to move it to winter because it's too hot for people mm. to play soccer. So, mm. don't get me yeah. started on that subject. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that is awesome. Try uh, Yeah, look forward to hearing about that. Yeah, I uh, I would also encourage folks to check Hillstar Nature's site. We're adding more and more stuff all the time, and I'm very excited about this Prairies trip we just scouted. I think our trip report, uh, Uber trip report, is on that, um, and you can see all the photos and stuff we got, and it's a nice, relaxed itinerary with a bunch of birds and some cool stuff to see, but there's a bunch of other stuff, too. 
So uh, and no hope- climbing hills. Yeah, not much of that. Yes, yes. <laughs> pretty much a lot of roadside stuff, which is and you know a few trails here and there. But but yeah, it's pretty flat. That's for sure. So nice. yeah, but yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, hope everybody is doing great, enjoying summer, seeing some birds. And Al, I'll see you again soon. We'll see you, George. Bye bye, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Mm-hmm.